years passed, and rumors began to rumble through the outland kingdoms of a fearless adventurer, a warrior who roamed trackless deserts, mighty mountains, and shining seas. Take me to battle, father. You'll need me. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Intermillennium Media Project podcast, the IMMP. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And every couple of weeks, I treat him to some media from the 20th century. And tonight <laughs> is a, a special one. Oh, oh, really? A movie from not from that glorious year of 1984. But from 1982, which had its own share of decent movies, and this movie, well, I'll let you is decide. not among them. <laughs> this movie is The Sword and the Sorcerer. Oh my goodness, <laughs> the ungoogleable movie. <laughs> yeah, it is the most generic title. I mean, they could have called it Swords and Sandals, and that's the only thing more generic. Absolutely. This is this is such a wildly generic movie. Just I'm going to say that from the start. It is unbelievably like I I feel like this is the baseline like the the premixed of box version of other films we've seen. It is. This movie this movie so wants to be Conan the Barbarian. Or maybe Conan the Destroyer. It also wants to be Dragon Slayer. I guess. Yeah, it's it doesn't have the beasties that Dragon Slayer has. It's got magic. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it's yeah, I could see that. You're right. It's yeah, the, the same. The year before it's, you know, hey. You know, grand adventure, cool special focus weapon. Yeah. And it's hard for me to say that this is a ripoff of the Conan the Barbarian movie because they came out in the same year, 1982. Yeah. But right from the beginning where you get this voiceover about the the age long past of high adventure, it's almost just like Mako's uh, prologue to Conan the Barbarian. So maybe it's just... You know, Somebody liked this kind of thing. They liked Robert E. Howard stuff. They knew there was a Conan movie. They thought, well, there's room for more swords and sorcery movies. You can kind of feel the fact that this was people excited that these are going to be popular. And I also state that because sometimes its sets and its environments have a bit of a quickly put together feel. A, a large major ending battle takes place in like the most generic cavern. It reminded me a little too much of being a kid and going to Casa Bonita and they've got the little pirate skull walkthrough section. It's the little fake rock cave and the, the big battle just had that same sort of aesthetic <laughs> to some extent. Yes. Yeah, very much like that. It's Black Bart's cave. Just, <laughs> what if you had a sword fight in Black Bart's cave? Sold. Okay. And yet you look at the numbers of this movie. We don't usually look too much at numbers and box office and things, but I noticed some things about this that I couldn't help but 
but mention. One of them is yeah. the, bu- the budget for this movie was $4 million, which is, is not an enormous budget, even in 1982. It's, it's a fairly low budget. It was very much of an independent movie. Mm-hmm. And it made over 39 million box office. This was the most successful, the most financially successful independent movie of 1982. I called it the box recipe version, but yeah, how many people do you know that make a cake from scratch, or do they use a boxed cake mix? There's a reason Pillsbury is a a very big company. (laughs) Absolutely. This is exactly that sort of situation, and my goodness... Seeing that number disparity threw me for a loop, especially with how I responded to this movie. And if we are going to compare this to Conan the Barbarian, also 82, we talked about the fact that Conan the Barbarian took itself so seriously. And it was just kind of grim at times because it had this weight of how important its story was. And with The Sword and the Sorcerer, you cannot accuse it of taking itself too seriously. And it's much more in the tone of Conan the Destroyer than Conan yes. the Barbarian. Very much. It's, it's, it's got a little bit more of that D&D adventuring feel. Very much. I remember thinking at the time, I saw this in a movie theater... And I remember thinking, this is what a really cool game of D&D feels like. And I felt that a little bit a couple of years later watching Conan and the Destroyer, but this is the first movie that really captured that for me. I get that. Now, I, I, as I say, I saw this in a movie theater with that uh, with your Uncle Jim, my brother. And we went to, the, there was a big multiplex movie theater, and these were kind of a new thing these movie theaters with which were a gigantic building with a bunch of different auditoriums in them built just for that purpose and i remember that my dad and i think my brother paul and maybe some other folks were going to see whatever rocky movie was out at the time i think it was rocky three the one with mr t okay and Jim and I were really not that interested, but we saw that there was a screening of this Swords and Sorcery movie starting around the same time. So we went to the multiplex with them. Jim and I went to see The Sword and the Sorcerer, and the rest went to see Rocky. And I don't remember. There's a lot that's in this movie that I don't remember being in there. I don't think my folks would have been really cool with me going in there to see this R-rated movie with a whole lot of nudity and violence in it. I mean, a sword is in the title. I knew there'd be some violence, and I'm sure they did too. But, you know, this this is a movie that earns its R rating. It really is. This is... I mean, if you look at the poster that they've got listed for it on Wikipedia... It it shows, you know, generic bad guys and the hilt of a sword and a man charging, you know, a damsel in distress with a snake. And I feel like it's almost faking you out because every single person there needs to be covered in a lot more blood. And <laughs> yes. I'm so unfortunately compared to what we see on screen, the damsel in distress on the poster is much more dressed. <laughs> it is yeah. wild. It, this movie is just 
if it can do something, it might as well go all the way. I guess so. You can make a bad guy, you can make him look absolutely the baddest guy. You're gonna have a, a steamy scene, it will get wildly more steamy. You're going to have a sword. You're going to over-design this sword. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to talk about that sword. Yes. But yeah, I. you would have thought that it would have made a big impression on me that they didn't waste a single opportunity to have mostly unclothed concubines and harems and whatnot. And yeah, unfortunately, also like threatened sexual assault as jokes and things like that. I don't remember any of that or didn't remember that until uh, our recent rewatch of this movie. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you've got to kind of accept that as part of this. I even was wondering, was there a different edit of this movie that I saw? But apparently not. But as very straightforward and potentially unimaginative as the plot is, it's not a bad plot. It sort of pulls you through the movie. It's got a few twists and turns. It's all presented in a kind of very generic, out of the, yeah, straight out of the um, the generic box sort of uh, uh, approach, like you described. But it's it's I'm still a story that's pretty engaging. Yeah. <clears> or <throat> right, I, I, I I I want to agree with you, but I'm going to just lay a card on the table. Okay. This is the second film to to join an exclusive club. Oh, what is that? The Ian Can't Stay Awake Club. <laughs> this did the exact same thing that Escape from New York did. <laughs> where at the same point somewhere in this film, and I tried to pull up clips of it, and it did. It just knocked me out. There is something about it that just lulled me asleep, which is wild for a movie that I was just describing as turning everything to 11. But I don't know. <laughs> I I understand what you mean with it, like a story that'll pull you along, but there's this gap in it every time I try to, and I don't know what to say. <laughs> if, someone can, if someone out there in our listening audience can go back and find what this this thing is between these two movies. We thought it was the soundtrack before. <laughs> maybe there's, maybe they hit the same tone somewhere in this soundtrack or something. I need to know. Yeah, if you could figure that out, you will never have to worry about getting to sleep again. Just put that exactly. on a loop. I just need to put that on the loop and I'll be down. But this movie, I was able to follow the, weirdly enough, the parts I could follow just fine are the remarkable amount of like, political intrigue in the start because this begins with like a lot of kings overthrowing lands and who is bequeathed what sort of stuff going on and an entire like contract dealing with a dark sorcerer thing going on who's the titular sorcerer yeah the story it starts well the very beginning starts with a very mysterious kind of scene where these guys on boats are are approaching this mysterious island with a hidden cave and in the cave is a tomb and they've brought a woman with them who they describe as a witch and it turns out you learn very quickly they are there to wake up a sorcerer who has been apparently is dead or has been lying in some kind of death-like state for a long time but the the guy in in charge of this mission, King Titus Cromwell, yeah, they weren't 
super were not, creative yeah. with a lot of their names. He needs to wake up this sorcerer and bring the sorcerer into his service because he is on a campaign to take over all of the kingdoms surrounding his to create an empire. And to continue this, he needs the help of a sorcerer. And, and if you were questioning that this was going to go all out before, the fact that the walls reveal themselves not to be made of stone in this cave the sorcerer is entombed within, but made of flesh and start looking at you and screaming, is like... That's I'm how they sorry. know spell is working. <laughs> oh no, his ADT home security system went off and it's terrifying. <laughs> ah! Okay, then. The witch succeeds in waking up the, uh, the, the sorcerer. The sorcerer has this job and compensation negotiation with, the, with, with Cromwell, uh, kills the, the witch as part of his proof of his power. Didn't work out well for her. Yeah. But eventually, uh, they come to an agreement that the sorcerer is going to work for... Uh, or Cromwell and help him take over the continent. Which is kind of a fascinating move because he literally proves to the sorcerer that I am as, as serious as I say because I'm willing to betray someone who trusted me. <laughs> so you're going to trust me, right? <laughs> and the sorcerer is willing to betray the person who's responsible for freeing him. So not yet. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, an agreement between two real bad guys. Yeah. This is. This is actually in the like the bad guy code of conduct book, apparently. <laughs> it's about you know who can who can double cross whom first. And that turns out to be Cromwell, because they quickly cut to some amount of time later when Cromwell has succeeded in taking over just about every other kingdom with the help of the sorcerer. And Cromwell and his right hand man are saying, Well, I guess we don't need the sorcerer anymore, and they stab him. I do kind of feel like we miss an entire uh, montage or something here. We just need, like, Cromwell and this decaying, fleshy sorcerer skipping through the field, <laughs> slicing people down. People, <laughs> let me tell you about my best friend. He's a cold-hearted person who murdered you at the end. You like, had to sneak in the Bill Bixby reference, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Uh, it, uh, some of it would be very lighthearted, though. We've got the little fashion show where they're draping themselves with the flags of all the kingdoms they've destroyed. <laughs> exactly. You could have it. Like, but it, 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 is, it is very, very much smash cut to, well, now that we're winning, goodbye. <laughs> so, so Zhusha the Sorcerer is, uh, is, has been killed, and Cromwell has just one kingdom left, really, that he needs to, to consolidate his uh, victory. And that I is, can the, take, I can take this Richard guy on my own. Yeah, Don't need King you. Richard. You know, oh, we need a name for a good guy, King, huh? Huh? What could it be? There are parts of the way that this movie handles names <laughs> that feels like they took British history and mythology and put them into a blender, and like put put the scripts of those into a blender, and then started pulling up pieces of paper till they got names. And it's something I haven't seen since, like, some video games I played. There was a Legend of Zelda-like game called Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy that did this exact same name trick, but with all of Egyptian history and myth. And I, it's just kind of funny to see this movie do it as well. 
<laughs> yes. It and and I oh, I remember that game and like and they took thousands of years of Egyptian history and compressed them into one thing, wasn't it? Yes, and this is doing that with like all of you know British and a bit of Europe and whatever they can grab. Yeah. It's like you know, Neil Armstrong has to take a stagecoach to warn Abraham Lincoln about Hitler. Like <laughs> what are you doing to Egyptian history? Exactly. So, (laughs) if anyone is going to be bothered by the names, it's going to get wilder. Heads up. (laughs) Not too much, but still. Yeah. And uh, things don't go too well for uh, for Richard's kingdom or his family. Yeah. His his eldest son is killed. His wife does not succeed in getting their children to safety, and she's killed or captured. Uh, The only person to escape is Prince Talon, his younger son. And and his uh, his one of the the royal daughters, one of the princesses, is like carried off by the bad guy as well. Yeah. So, and then then I believe we then cut to a couple of decades later. Yeah, it's once again smash cut to like th- this movie will not slow down. If it's going to do something, it's going to do the wildest thing. So this is smash cut to Talon is ripped in here for revenge time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's 11 years later, uh, uh, yeah. according to the, my notes. And uh, yeah, Talon, he's a, a super successful mercenary general. But he, he on his way to his next job, he has to stop at this kingdom of Aden, which is was his kingdom, Richard's kingdom, because he has a debt to pay. Yeah, and his guys just say, "Well, okay, I guess so." We'll hope that the guy who's hired us for the next job is still alive by the time we get there. But okay, and it's all about finding Cromwell and getting revenge. But it turns out to be more complicated than that, because Cromwell is not a very popular king, and there's already a rebellion that's about to be launched against him. You have skipped one of the coolest parts of this movie. Though. Oh, oh, what's that? That's the way Talon fights his way out of the uh, b- almost being captured with the b- wildest weapon ever to exist. Oh, I forgot that that was introduced early. You're right. What, t- tell us it about was, this weapon. This, I-, I can't find the name of it. Everything I can find online just calls it the three-bladed sword from Sword <laughs> and the Sorcerer. So we've gotten the Sorcerer. Now time for the sword. This thing is the wildest weapon. I <laughs> I admit I'd always used Final Fantasy as the pinnacle of weird sword design. And there is a new king of the rankings. <laughs> because this is three sword blades set par- set parallel to each other like a dang razor <laughs> for the closest shave of your kingdom the gillette Real triblade blade exactly so, i mean the triblade here it is you see him wield it and you realize it's it's wielded more like a club because it is as wide as it is uh de- deep <laughs> the the three blades make a cube, a, tra- a rectangular projection of a wielded area. And it must have the worst balance of any sword you can imagine. They've got spacing between them, so you can only <laughs> imagine that if you don't hit dead on, that thing would ring in your hands 
like a tuning fork. <laughs> and right when I'm there looking at this and saying, oh, he points it at someone, clicks the handle, and fires one of the side blades. <laughs> These things are a projectile. And I, suddenly, this this suddenly this weapon goes goes from unwieldy to it's nerf or nothing because <laughs> this thing is flying with enough force that it impales in someone else, but it has no recoil on his end. So what's <laughs> happening? I guess uh, magic swords don't have to worry about Newton. Magic swords don't give a dang about Newton. Oh, goodness, that's another t-shirt design. <laughs> I want to see a fighting uh, game. I, I want a fighting game that has Talon and the, the Triblade versus the guy from Krull with the Glaive. Yes. What was his My name? God. I don't remember the guy in Krull's name. Might have been don't Richard, remember. for all I know. I don't know. But that would be, uh, that would be a good matchup. It would. But this... Uh... And and that's the sword that we see Talon with, isn't it? So we know it's the same guy as the kid we saw earlier. Yeah, that's the only thing that really makes it clear that this is the same guy. Also, I will point out that he's fired out all these side blades, but he gets more. So either these are a standard form of reuse of, of obtainable ammo, or the sword will regenerate a fresh blade, <laughs> or well, he did keep a blacksmith on hand. Yeah, I'm sure a mercenary... Uh, uh, a mercenary general knows a few weaponsmiths. Yeah. But the, the grown buff Talon is played by Lee Horsley, who at the time that this was released, or around the time this was released, he was on TV in the show Matt Houston, a crime detective kind of series. I didn't watch that much, but I kind of recognized, oh, this is the guy who's on that TV show I never watch. And I don't know, I think... He they might have shot this movie before the TV show started and it was released after the TV show because I know that it got a bit of a bump from the fact that he was a popular TV star at the time. Okay. I'm trying to see what I might recognize him from. Oh goodness, he was in Django Unchained. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I didn't remember that. Shows up as the sheriff in one of the sections. Ah. Huh. He's one of those guys that has a recognizable enough face. You, you see him, you're like, oh, yeah, it's that dude. Oh, he was in The Hateful Eight, too. So apparently uh, yeah. um, Tarantino likes working with him. Yeah, he's become a, he's become a, a tertiary tar- Tarantino-in. <laughs> in that sense. Okay. That's where I'd recognize him. Oh, he still. was in something called Showdown at Area 51. I've never heard of it, but it sounds like my kind of movie. Yeah. <laughs> and the grown-up Talon, he's still got the tri-blade. Uh, he's not as fond of clothes, though, since he, yeah. he, he, he doesn't wear a shirt. He just wears, like, a cloak made of wolf skins. <laughs> apparently, apparently seeking vengeance causes your internal temperature to rise. <laughs> you need to vent more air. So he goes into the city, and he immediately gets tied up in this uh, this political rebellion that is about to take place. Partly because he saves the 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 rebellion is being led by like the the son and heir of one of Richard's close advisors. So he's the person who 
those who are against Cromwell kind of recognize him as having, well, the closest thing to a legitimate claim on Richard's throne, uh, because all of Richard's family is believed to have been killed. Uh, Talon saves his sister from a bunch of bad guys because Cromwell's men got word of the rebellion. He saves the rebellion leader's sister, and she convinces him to help free her brother. It becomes a whole thing. So essentially, it's a rescue mission. I need to go in. Well, I'm here to... You must be thinking, I'm here to kill Cromwell anyway. I might as well save his biggest opponent while I'm at it. Yeah. It's kind of funny the 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 bar scene that starts that out with kind of, with this with the the entire plot so far being given to it as a ah too bad we're in the middle of a giant fight. Well, not like we're going to have the original king back. All of his kids are dead, right? <laughs> right. Random stranger who's wandered into town looking for work wielding the old royal sword. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, guess so. He, he does let run into old Expositiony the bartender. Gives him this whole rundown. Yeah, and you can kind of. This is also where like the the budget things I was saying kind of gets there. There's a whole lot of reuse of the same brick wall corner. <laughs> yeah, for every clandestine meeting, just at a different <laughs> angle, and it's like, oh, the DM doesn't have a lot of dungeon tiles, but he does rearrange them quickly. And that leads us into what really seems like the D&D part of it, because there's a castle to infiltrate. There are hidden tunnels that you can use to infiltrate the castle. You've got a bunch of men at arms, but it really turns out to be the hero who's leading everything. And a lot of really dungeon crawl type scenes from there. We've we've got to sneak in helping the the rebels and rooting out the traitors that have been put inside the rebels and da da da. And and there's a timer now because uh, Cromwell is going to like quell the rebellion by justifying his rule by marrying Elena, who is go- like doing so will put him on the same level, even though he rules a bunch of as neighboring kings, so he can assassinate those kings and his enemies at the same time and take over even more power. Yeah, and I don't know if we mentioned that's the the. Rebellion leader's sister is Elena. And you're right. He's saying, well, let's have one big event. I'll marry her. I'll kill my last remaining rivals because I'll invite them to the wedding. It'll be, it'll be like a great try, time. It's like trying to schedule all of your different <laughs> uh, shopping trips while you're out at the same time so you don't spend more gas than you need to. And one thing about Talon's uh, gathering the, the remaining rebels to, to work with him and also surviving his his infiltration of the castle. He may have this cool tri-bladed sword, but barrels of oil and torches are his go-to move. Yeah. We see him, at least twice we see him deal with uh, bad guy soldiers with that technique, although they were originally going to use it against the rebels. And then he deals with the, the thousands of rats in the tunnels in the same way. They named him Prince Talon because Prince Arson was too on the money. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) My goodness. Sometimes it's just just available to him too easily. (laughs) And he he, he saves a bunch of people who are going to be be killed because 
like they're go like the bad guy's plan is to catch them into a place and instead of just shooting them pour oil into the place and then fire flaming arrows and all talon does is like redirect it and spook all of the guys with flaming arrows with their own fire <laughs> this whole thing and from there we start a section of the movie that I remember it being engaging while I was watching it, but I'd be hard-pressed to describe it because it involves you know, getting into the castle, saving the prince, getting the prince someplace where he can, because he's been tortured while he's in there, getting the prince someplace safe. And I say the prince, the, the, the head of the rebellion, who is the closest thing they have to a, a legitimate heir. And... Then having to go back in and then having to save Elena because Elena's been captured because she's going to be forced to marry the bad guy. And there's just so much back and forth within this castle. And you're right. A lot of these are the same corridors shot from a few different angles. I swear they save people from the exact same dungeon cells three times. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right about that. And it's like every time you go in, you get someone out and you forget someone in there. This, this 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 is the dungeon escape version of doing the Tower of Hanoi puzzle, where you have to move everything to different pegs to get them all sorted and organized. And there is a really good chase scene as part of this. I remember that being fun because when he has to he has to go save Elena, but then the guards know he's there, and they have this chase scene that goes all through the entire palace with lots of jumping off of balconies and and running up and down staircases and of course at one point he crashes through a window into the 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 harem's chamber uh, cuz they couldn't resist an opportunity for that could they and they could they couldn't i remember that being kind of a fun chase scene but it was also it showed one of the problems that this movie has is the the fact that it couldn't keep a consistent tone you go from like a really brutal torture scene to this light, fun, swashbuckling Zorro escape kind of scene. And I don't know, I, I can't shift gears quite that readily. Yeah, there's few things outside of like certain anime that can that I've ever been able to that I've ever found that sort of quick change happening in. But this one does it all the time. It's it's rapidly switching between an episode of Game of Thrones and the original pirate and the and the uh, Disney Pirates of the Caribbean film in terms of tone. It's like two tabs open and you're just clicking between them at random. So one moment, you know, here's someone beheaded with a sword. The next, why is the rum gone? And then you're right back to the fight again. And it makes it, it makes it for a jarring experience. And also, one of the people that Talon saves, in addition to saving the head of the rebellion, is this blonde young woman who is a Cromwell's concubine or, or consort, but is, is she's also seems like she's trying to help the, the rebellion leader, or at least keep him from being tortured to death. And she goes with Talon, and they never make it, they never actually state this. But I have the the strong impression that that is Talon's sister, who was carried off by the bad guys eleven years ago, near the beginning of the movie. 
I think you're right, but they I don't know if they ever clearly point that out. The the ages work out, the general appearance works out, and Talon, who has made it clear, you know, he'll kiss anybody, any any, any woman he comes across, she gives him a kiss. And he has this weird look on his face, but doesn't say anything. So I don't know if he sensed something or what. But I found that interesting that they they add all those hints, but they never come out and say anything. Mm-hmm. They're 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 very coy about that. Which is weird for a movie that does everything else to such extent for them to have anything they hold back on. Yeah, that that's that's a, a unique for this movie. But then she and the, the rebellion leader, I think, are gotten to safety. But Talon has to go in and rescue Elena. So that becomes a whole new infiltration. And then he gets ca- captured, of course. He, of and course meanwhile, does. all of Talon's troops, the, the, the mercenaries that he was leading, they're hanging out in the city, having a good time, waiting for their boss to be done with this errand that he's got to deal with. <laughs> Which just kind of gets funny again, which is really wild when you've just gone from, oh no, our hero's been captured by a man with a penchant for torture. Yeah. Cut to, you know, hey, it's city hijinks, filmed almost like (laughs) some sort of sitcom with an apartment where all these guys are staying. (laughs) But this blonde consort who's been rescued from from Cromwell finds Cromwell. Uh, Talon's men and tells them what's going on and they realize oh we have to uh, I guess we got to go save Talon but we don't have nearly enough guys and they're 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 in a brothel of course because apparently there are bars and brothels in a palace and that's this entire town yeah and that that leads to some of the coolest uh, bits in the movie I think it really does when <laughs> like oh you need men Open. Someone pops the you know, captain pipe pops their head in. I've got a group of pirates just waiting around. Do you need help? <laughs> like, yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, this, we'd love some help. This guy just overhears Talon's men saying, "I wish we had more guys." And this guy said, "Well, you do." Every and he introduces himself as Captain Morgan. Yes. <laughs> like you know, is this the spiced rum guy, or is this the bottle that was on the desk when they were writing this movie? I don't know. <laughs> Like, oh, how how are we going to write this segment? How are we going to explain <laughs> that they've got the support they need? We've already oh, used guess. Cromwell and Richard, but we need more names. Uh, uh, this is when I usually turn to Captain Morgan. That's it. <laughs> oh, I meant the rum, but yes, go for it. Write him. <laughs> and as, as Morgan puts it, every sea dog in this town owes their life to Talon at one time or another. So they're all willing to, to go in and help rescue him. I'm sorry, what? We could have gotten a completely other story where this guy with a three-part sword and a vengeance quest somehow gains the favor of every other sailor in the nation. Yes. I think we're missing a different, good, interesting story here. Why do we jump to this one? Right. I really do want the, the prequel about Prince Talon and the pirates, please. Yeah. But no, we get this instead. And uh, uh, the... Bond girl who knows the palace well, uh, she could just tell them how to get in, but she insists on being able to lead them there herself because she knows the place and she wants to make sure that they can save Prince Talon. And that's again, they have a, another switch in tone. 
because we go from that conversation smash cut to everybody in the dungeons of the palace. Yeah. We Apparently she didn't lead them past them the guards fail. very well. Right? <laughs> and that's where I mean, it feels like it's cut. It's hot. Like that sort of jump cut feels more sitcom-y. Very. An action movie. There's something very much like, like the silly roommate suggests a plan and you smash cut to everyone at everyone in the drunk tank in the aftermath of the plan because it's the character piece that you're getting the story out of. But all of the characters are generic fantasy people in this one. So why are we using character story tropes for an action adventure movie? It's weird. You're right. I hadn't put it together, but that is such a sitcom edit. Now, a swords and sorcery sitcom absolutely is something that could be made. Oh, you know, let's save that for revive, yeah. reboot, or rest in peace. <laughs> they don't succeed in uh, in saving Talon from his fate, which is to be the entertainment at the wedding feast. So in addition to marrying Elena and assassinating the kings who have come to celebrate his wedding, Cromwell is also crucifying Talon to death at the at the uh, the banquet. Yikes. And again, we're going from sitcom level comedy to, oh, and by the way, our heroes being tortured to death before our eyes. Yeah, he's he's up on a giant X of wood. As this like the, the against the wall display piece of art during this like wedding and banquet. And the fact that everyone is is switching rapidly from being like jovial about the event to being uncomfortable about the fact that this guy's just there dying back repeatedly doesn't help with the weird tone we've been setting and it is nice that we see some of the the other the foreign kings all of whom also have extremely generic names we see them talking amongst themselves that isn't that talon and don't we all owe our kingdoms to him? We can't just let, sit here and let him. So they're kind of planning to help free Talon, even though they're in Cromwell's banquet hall, surrounded by Cromwell's guards. Yeah. And th- there's a small s- creeping suspicion of the, does, does Cromwell know that? The fact that it's this guy there that we all have reasons to like, but not <laughs> a good sign for us. Yeah, it, uh, it does kind of. I don't know if Cromwell recognizes Talon, does he? I don't remember. I don't know. I don't know if he recognizes him as Richard's son, or if he recognizes him as the uh, the mercenary general, or doesn't recognize him at all. I just don't remember. It wouldn't surprise me either way, and I I don't think it would change the story very much if he did. I think that he's. I think that this is a situation where Cromwell is like, oh yeah. I'll I'll just uh you know string up Robin Hood here as a centerpiece and doesn't realize that in this story Robin Hood and Prince Hal are the same kind of character <laughs> that he's spent his days with a much more vengeance style false death and then we get um a couple of things happening we do have the all the people who came in to help rescue uh, Talon 
uh, are freed. I know as part of it, the blonde sacrifices herself, but they are, they're freed, so they're going to gather weapons and go to the banquet hall and help rescue Talon. We've got the kings who are in the banquet hall are planning to rescue Talon. And meanwhile, Cromwell is there and he's the, the wedding ceremony with Elena is starting up. But before that can finish, Talon just frees himself from this cross just through a feat of strength and pulling the nails out of the wood. <laughs> Wait, which is the, another wild <laughs> moment of style. It's, it's a pretty impressive moment, and they, I have to admit that they have earned it because they have established how tough and strong Talon is, not just by what we've seen, but by all of the the, the awe in which all of the other characters seem to regard him. So it doesn't come out of nowhere that he can do this. It doesn't come out of nowhere, but it does. It it, it does have have kind of a wait. What are you <laughs> really? Yeah, it is one what of those jaw opening moments, and that leads to this. the The whole banquet hall turns into a, a battle. The uh, as the. The guards, the Cromwell's guards who were supposed to be killing the kings are there, but then the kings have their own weapons and Talon's men come in and and Talon has freed himself. So there's this tremendous, very long battle going on in the banquet hall. And again, there's they they dwell on this violence for a long time. And yet I have to admit, it's fairly well shot. It's pretty well edited. It could be trimmed down a little bit, but it's not bad. Yeah, it's it, it's not bad, and it is another fight with the the three bladed sword, kind of getting to have the, the badass moment. Yeah, we do have a couple of cool scenes of you know the him wielding the three bladed sword and s- smashing through the defender's weapons and things like that, <laughs> cutting large chunks of iron shields apart, kind of moment. And Cromwell is smart enough to realize things are not going well, and he escapes with Elena down into the, the catacombs below the palace. But Talon pursues them. And this, of course, that, sets... Um, oh, wait a minute. I back that up. It's, um, it's, not, it's, it's not Talon. It's, it's not Cromwell who originally brings her down to the catacombs. It's no. Cromwell's like, right-hand man who was also supposedly helping the rebellion, McKelly. Yep. And and this is when McKelly's flesh starts melting off, and we learn, oh, it's Sorcerer Guy, still mad about having gotten <laughs> stabbed. Remember me? I'm one half of the title of the film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you would have thought I'd be more in more of this movie, but I wasn't. But here I am again. Turns out I kind of was. <laughs> this advisor guy's been here the entire time. It's a little bit of Sorcerer, a whole lot of Sword, and then a little more Sorcerer is a treat. Have a little bit more sorcery <laughs> as a treat. <laughs> so yeah, he takes essentially. Well, I was gonna say he takes off the McKelly suit, but I think McKelly might have been a real guy, and the sorcerer was kind of wearing him. Again, we get yeah, into McKelly's David Cronenberg territory here. Yeah, it's it's creepy. But and the sorcerer is a big guy. The sorcerer is played by Richard Mall, who is a big guy. Uh, probably best known for Night Court, a very different role that he's playing there. But yeah, his this is all part of his complex plan to get revenge against Cromwell. 
And Cromwell actually is the one who charges down there first and says, oh, snap, I didn't backstab you hard enough. Let me try to fix that. (laughs) And actually instead gets himself very thoroughly whooped. Right. And eventually, Talon does join them. Yeah, Talon comes in kind of to watch, like, "Ah, I'll face you, Cromwell. Watches Cromwell get finished. Oh, well, I'll face you, guy who finished the guy I was here to finish. Because you're still <laughs> actually being threatening to the lady I was here to save. On guard. <laughs> and he does, um, he does manage to take out uh, Zhusha, the sorcerer, with the, the, the flying sword blades. Uh, well, yeah, he, he, he does, as this fight kind of you know, whittles down, though. Like, blades break off of blades. Um, we learn that, like, okay, so he fires the two side blades at the sorcerer and does damage to him and he attacks him with the center blade and then he pulls the sword out of the center blade and there's a sword <laughs> in the sword well that's a bit, that's later when he's fi- having his final duel against cromwell and oh, he's that's pulling the- pulling short swords out of the hilt of his big sword yeah. I, I i kept thinking about that parody of the uh, of the last resort song <laughs> this is my <laughs> yeah. fractal sword cut my Cut Cromwell into pieces. <laughs> this is my fractal sword. <laughs> but that was, um, I, again, they had earned that. They had established that weird weaponsmithing is part of this world. That yeah, And Cr- Cromwell's doing the same thing, yes. pulling out extra daggers out of, like, the sword and, like, like reshaping his own. It's like, oh, there's more than one wildly weird sword out here. Yeah, it's it's just part of the world, and I liked that. It's 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 not well. That's ridiculous. They've got knives hidden inside knives and all this stuff. It's 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 just part of how weapons are made in this world. Why not? You've got a handle. Let's attach more blades to it. Exactly. So I thought that was pretty cool. But it, and it was is- it was not well. What ridiculous thing is happening? It's oh, we know there are tricks. What tricks has he got left? Weirdly enough, it's the sort of thing where like they did enough to establish that when we do something, we we turn it up to eleven. So the sword fight getting turned up like this is fine. But there's more interesting world building if they'd done that earlier and just established swords are weird here <laughs> and let us play in this space. Yes. It's like it's like packing up to leave a house and you realize there's an entire wing you've never moved anything into or out of and you're like <laughs> what Yeah, they could there's have two they, extra there's two extra bathrooms and an entire porch over here. What the heck? They could have shown Cromwell with a weird tricky sword at the beginning or something just to to yeah. add a little more weight to that idea that this is just how weapons are. Show me what in the world a blacksmithing shop looks like in this world. <laughs> if this is what basic swords are, these things are going to be the most like Iron Man tech, like rows of wild molds and casting pieces in the hanging from racks on the ceiling kind of place. And ultimately, uh, you know, in the end there, uh, Talon, Talon wins, of course. And after he wins against Cromwell, he still has to save Elena because the the snake that Zhusha conjured or turned into still has to be dealt with. So in true Conan, the barbarian fashion, we do get to see Talon fighting a snake. 
<laughs> he actually fights the snake a little bit more blasely than Conan does. <laughs> Conan at least is like, oh, dang, big snake cut. Talon's just like, cut. Oh, was that a snake? So Talon has ultimately uh, succeeded in avenging his family. Because Richard and, and Richard's empire are, are done for. He doesn't want to take over the kingdom, though, so he gives the crown to, to Micah, the rebellion leader, who, yeah, now that I remember that, he did survive. Yeah, Micah survives, and it's just like, oh, well, now that you know I exist and therefore can actually bestow the authority, give it to this guy. He'd, he's probably going to be better. I'm going to continue adventuring. Thank you, kings of all the neighboring nations who I helped save while doing so. I'm glad this will help make sure peace reigns. Bye. And he sets off. And he gets another guy for his army, Rodrigo, who was one of the surviving rebels, who wasn't super competent through this entire adventure, still offers or asks if he can join Talon's band and, and is, is, yeah, sure, let's go. Yeah. And they they are clearly setting this up for we want more. Don't you want to see more adventures of of Talon? And they were planning yeah. on it. I believe that there was an, uh, at the 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 cinematic screening. There was a you know, Talon will return kind of card at the end of it, plugging yeah. the next adventure. But uh, that was Sword and the Sorcerer, and I think that might be leading us to our final questions. I think so. So, um, screen or no screen? I'm going to give it a no screen. <laughs> it was wild. It was weird, but I don't feel like it was worth. Yeah. There's a lot of these same sort of things that are out there that we've already watched and a bunch that I get this nerve wracking feeling we're going to wind up <laughs> watching if I know you well enough, dad. Yeah. That. I think that there's better ones out there. So if, unless you've really burned through all of the rest of the library and you're, you're going for the extra ones, you don't need to grab this. I agree. Pokemon, yeah. You don't have to catch them all <laughs> in the, in those same term, in those same terms. I agree. If, if you, there are so many better movies in the same general frame that, that you could watch, watch dragon slayer, watch, crawl watch the conan and the barbarian movies there are others if you use up all of them and you're desperate for more yeah then maybe consider the sword and the sorcerer but apart from that i would say no screen and that leads to our next question which is revive reboot or rest in peace and this is where i get to tell you if you didn't know about the sequel yes yes Abelar, Tales of an Ancient Empire, starring Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> and th Which, I believe that's the title that was given in that little teaser card at the end of uh, The Sword and the Sorcerer. I don't think they were expecting uh, quite so many years to pass yeah. before they got to make the sequel. Yeah, it did, the sequel didn't come out until 2010. Lee Horsley does appear as Talon. He does, but uh, he's not quite going to play the the action hero at that point, I suppose. So instead, we get Kevin Sorbo. Instead, we get Kevin Sorbo, and um, I it the movie has no description, like not much description on anywhere, Wikipedia or anything I can find. 
So the best I can go off of is the bit of trailer on mute that I've seen of it. <laughs> and it looks to be another generic action story, action sword and sandals kind of story about people fighting what I can only assume to be the source of all of the color gradient filters over the footage because <laughs> <laughs> everything is either blue tinted or orange tinted and there's no mid ground in any of this, these screenshots. So, well, well, we've got a vampire queen as part of the, uh, of the story. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's something, but yeah, it's, it's another differently generic. And it's directed by the same guy who directed the Sword and the Sorcerer. Yeah, Albert Pune was the uh, the director of the Sword and the Sorcerer. That was his his debut feature, and he directed a lot of, I would say, fast low budget movies. And he directed uh, how many years later? He directed Tales of an Ancient Empire. He's got uh, yeah two two movies after tales of an ancient empire he's one of these guys who you know he found a niche and worked steadily and made a lot of movies oh yeah he did his thing i don't think i'm going to go out of my way to watch tales of an ancient empire though it's interesting to know that it exists yeah cool that it exists not what i'm looking for so and as far as any other revivals or reboots um i don't know i don't know that i need them this uh, is a rest in peace for me. There's yeah. there's ideas that it sparked, like the idea of a swords and and sandals sitcom that <laughs> someone could do something with, but that's not because of what this movie is, or not because of what this movie is doing, but because of just it is of the genre that it made me think of the genre. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're gonna do something, do something completely off the wall. Give us Leo, the Talon and Company sitcom. At the, yeah, they've settled down. Like, Mercenary mercenarying is not uh, the business that it once was. So they're all sharing the an Captain, apartment somewhere. It's the Captain Morgan show. <laughs> yes, I would. I would watch more about other things in the the world of the sword and the sorcerer, like uh, pirate stories about Captain Morgan and the like. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think this is a rest in peace, just as there are other movies in this same style or this same genre that I would recommend far long before I would recommend Sword and the Sorcerer. There are other movies for which I would rather see revivals or reboots than the Sword and the Sorcerer. Yeah, so I think that's where it leaves this in terms of final choices. It's it's yeah. not a watch and it's a rest in peace, unfortunately. I think I'm glad that I took this opportunity to go back to it. If I wasn't showing it to you and planning to to cover it on the podcast with you, I don't know that I would have ever taken the time to watch it again. It had a certain nostalgia factor when I did so, but not enough that it was, it was not, I, it's funny. I didn't remember it as being a great movie, but I remembered it as being kind of fun. It wasn't quite as fun as I remembered. Ah, but it also wasn't any better or worse in general than I remembered. I'd never heard of it, and I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to find a lot more about it. it. It is. It did do interesting things to my YouTube suggestions, because apparently there is a lot of discussion about that sword online. <laughs> There's an entire episode from a uh, uh, Swordcraft YouTuber, uh, Shadver- uh, Shadversary? Shadversary? Uh, Shadversary. 
There, there's an entire video from uh, Shadvers- uh, Shadversity like University. Oh, got it. I thought it was like adversary. There's an entire video from Shadversary about uh, like how wild and weird this sword is. So <laughs> I might have to follow up on that stuff, but that seems to be the only cultural thing that is stuck about this film. And thanks to the popularity of this movie, you know, almost $40 million box office in 1982, they did make for a while toy plastic swords with the three blades. They did? They did. I have never seen one, but I understand that they were made. And there again, oh I think that they were figuring, well, how popular this was, they were going to get a green light or, or get funding for a sequel pretty quickly. And I don't know why, but they never did. Yeah. Maybe it, by, the, by the end of the year, it was overshadowed by Conan. It's hard to say. It might be by then, because I'm, I'm also, I'm looking at what came after it and around that time, and I think it just got lost in everything else as well. It'd be fun to see one of those toy swords from this movie, though. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a keep an eye out on eBay kind of thing. So, it was a strange one, but it was fun getting to share this with you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> you did share it with me. It is a weird one. It is a soporific one, but it is a, <laughs> it was interesting to see what I did of it. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of media from the 20th century. Uh, whether or not they are tales of an ancient kingdom, I'm not sure. Not sure of that. <laughs> Dad, where can they find you online? Uh, you can find me at bymatthewporter.omg.lol. Uh, and that'll give you a link to my website, which is bymatthewporter.com. Also a link to uh, my YouTube channel, where you'll find my Drafthouse Diary movie reviews. Uh, and anything else that I'm doing, you'll, you'll find at those sites. Uh, Ian, uh, where can people find you? I can be found as ide- at itemcrafting.omg.lol or at itemcrafting.com and as itemcraftinglive on Twitch. And you'll find the podcast at immproject.com, and that's where you'll find all of our past episodes, including our reviews of the Conan movies. And you will find a link to our shop if you like coffee mugs and T-shirts and notebooks and fun things like that. A link to our Discord and our contact page. We'd love to hear from you. And a link to our Patreon. Thank you very much for uh, those who can support us there. You help keep the, uh, the podcast going. And you also get bonus content when you support us on Patreon. Hey, yeah. But most important, thank you very much for downloading this episode. Thank you for listening. We uh, really appreciate that. And we hope you'll join us again in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, go find something new to watch.